Well, we're doing things a little bit different. And um, who likes change? <laughs> some say yes, some say no. Well, I hope you like change because we're to be the people who are constantly changing. We are going from strength to strength. We're not the people who stay the same. So we need to get used to transformation because it's who we are supposed to be. And um, we're going to change things up a little bit. As you can see tonight, there's three of us that are going to teach tonight. And we want to create this more of a discipleship environment through teaching as well. And as we go forward, there'll probably be going to be a fourth person. And then we're going to alternate some things. There'll be a base of people that teach. And we want to utilize the fivefold giftings to bring to light the Word of God and to hear from us all. Um, and this is an interesting dynamic because I've said to the guys, we also need to be open to have some of the things we say challenged in love and not necessarily agreed upon because that's the process of discipleship, isn't it? It's like we need to wrestle with one another for the truth. And we're all on that journey. And because we all love one another, and it's not about being right or wrong, but about being one, then we, this is all possible. And when we love one another, everything becomes possible. It's when you don't love one another and you're in fear of getting it wrong that you struggle to actually reach oneness. Because you have to be vulnerable and you have to be prepared to be taught, including me. I'm talking to myself. So it's not just, no one is the oracle of all truth, apart from Jesus, amen? And so in this pursuit of understanding these things called the gifts, uh, we're going to utilize the gifts in the teaching, and we utilize the gifts in discussion. And this is a whole massive topic, isn't it? And um, I'm not sure what your expectations are tonight, but can I just tell you to just leave them at the door? Because um, I don't want you to be disappointed with why you think you've come here tonight, because we need to look at this through the lens of love. It's so essential that we get the foundation right. And so over these next few months, you'll hear us talking about probably a number of different things all at the same time. Um, but tonight, I'm just going to read one passage, which isn't actually the passage I gave you guys initially. Um, and this is all part of the process of being led by the Spirit being ready in and out of the season and ready to be prepared to share. And we're not going to discuss this, but I want to read this because Paul is making some things really important. And this is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, if you want to follow along. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So I don't want you to be unaware of the gifts that are from the Spirit. And you can look at this two ways. You can be completely unaware that they don't even exist. So you're completely unaware that you actually have a gift lying within you that needs to come out of you because the gift has been given for the building of the body. You may be completely unaware of that as a follower of Christ. So you need to be aware of that. The other thing you can be unaware of is how the gift is to be ministered. So you can think, oh, this is how the gift is to be ministered. It's actually my gift, and I'm going to define how the gift is to be used. So you're unaware of how God would define the gift and how he would have you use the gift. So Paul is very aware of the dynamics of the gifts because within the scriptures we see people who obviously took gifts, ministered in the gift, but then heard, I don't know who you are. I don't want any one of us to be those people, do you? To live your whole life 
moving mountains by faith, prophesying over here, doing all this to only hear at the end of your life that you were a gong. That you gave your life and your life was burnt for me, but you're just a gong because you didn't discover love. Because you are unaware of how the gifts are to be ministered. So we're going to look at why, when, who, what over these months. So we actually, hopefully at the end of it, come out knowing the purpose for them, why they're given, the function of all those things, how they are to be used, when they're to be used. And who they're from. How's that sound? All right. He goes on. He says this. You know that when you were pagans. Do you know you were pagan? Yeah. <laughs> you were led astray to the mute idols. Oh, no, I wasn't. Yes, you were. No, no. She said that. She needs to read the scripture. It says love more than... However you were led, therefore I have made known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there are a variety of gifts, and as we go forward, we're going to look at what these gifts are. We're going to, through relationship or fellowship, this is where you find out the gift you have. You know, I'm not against courses that try to identify giftings, but if you're in fellowship with Christ, He will show you what the gift is on your life. This is the most important aspect of the gift is actually knowing Him. Rather than trying to take a course to figure it out, just take a course to figure out Him, and He'll teach you who and what the gift is on your life. So the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Who's at work? He is. So God is the one that works with us, and it's God that does the work, not you. That's why you can't take any glory for the stuff, because it's not you. It's Him. And everything has created in Him, through Him, and for Him, for His glory, not ours. Cool so far? But to each one given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. This is why you aren't to go after or covet someone else's gift. I want to be like that. No, you don't. You need to discover who you are in Christ and the gift on your life because He's expecting you to minister from that gift that's on your life. While you're looking at Sandra's gift, you're not identifying your own gift. You may have the same gift, but you don't look to other people. You look to him and say, what is the gift or gifts that are on my life for your purpose? So it's never about us. This is not about your ministry. If you've come here tonight to discover your gifts for your ministry, you're going to be very disappointed. Okay? It is not about my ministry. 
It's His ministry that I'm to bless with His gift, knowing how I'm to use it, when I'm to use it, why I'm to use it. Cool? And the foundation for all this is love. Okay? So just 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So we are to pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. A lot of people pursue spiritual gifts and desire love. It's the other way around. Pursue Him, you'll know the gift, and gifts are of God. So we are to earnestly seek them. And it says there, but especially that you may prophesy. And once again, prophecy is obviously seeing a reality that's in Christ and declaring that. So that can be micro or macro prophecy. What do you mean by that, Greg? Macro prophecy is eternal, the eternal promises, the eternal perspective of God. What does the future look like? Receiving those promises, because every promise is yes and amen, through the power of revelation into your spirit. So the Word of God, which is the promises of God, which is Jesus revealed in your spirit, comes into you, creates power. You now have knowledge in your heart, the place of understanding, and you prophesy those promises out. So a macro promise is Abraham saw a city being built, coming out of heaven. And because he saw the city, he lived in accordance to what he was looking at. He didn't go back to the place he was from. He pressed on towards the goal of the upward call because he's seeing something and he's declaring it. A micro prophecy is what you're going to do on earth. So Chris Reddington, I see you going to build homes in Cambodia in two years' time. You're going to this region at this particular time. It's awesome, but it's earthly prophecy. It's, te- it's, it's still prophecy, but it's micro. So we need both. We need macro and micro. The churches tend to focus on micro, this earth alone. But this book is full of prophetic promises that God is waiting for the church to realize and be revealed, which changes the way you live now. How do you think they're able to be boiled in oil to their death? Because they have a revelation of what is set before them. You get revelation of what is awaiting you in Christ because the Bible says every wisdom of treasure and knowledge is hidden in Christ. You think you're going to tell everyone about it? And do you think that alters the way you live? Absolutely. The early church got this. The modern day church has lost it. Okay? Eye hasn't yet seen, ear hasn't yet heard, heart is yet to receive all that God has prepared for those who love Him through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is waiting to reveal the hidden mana that you're yet to know in your heart. Awesome, eh? So we have been given gifts that have graces that go after those things that then declare them for gifts that aren't graced for that purpose. So God has sent, and he says we have everything we need 
to live a life of godliness, and I send gifts to my church for the building of my church. So we're going to look at over this time, there are gifts given like we just read, and not everyone has the same gift, even though there can be three apostles here or three prophets or an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, gift of hospitality, gift of tongues, gift of word of knowledge, gift of prophecy. All the gifts are given for the building up of the body first. It's not for individual ministry. It's not for us to run off and try and find an individual plan that you've been taught awaits you out there somewhere. It's for the building of the house of God, number one. Then number two, it's you then use your gift when you're led and empowered by the Spirit wherever you are. And it points people to Him. It has nothing to do with individual ministry, meaning it's about me and my gift. That's a road that's full of disillusionment, frustration, and pride. Are we cool? All righty. All right, let's go to Romans. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 to 16. I'm going to read it all out, and we're going to come back and go through line by line. And what I've asked these guys with myself is we're just going to pull this apart. And the core theme of all this thing really is you need to be dead to yourself to really understand all this stuff. And if you're not dead to you, then there's a good chance you're going to define the gift that God has given you and use it for you, not for Him. And you'll run as an individual when you're supposed to be in a team. Okay? And these are the first two passages, and this is where I felt the Holy Spirit take me to in this whole year of gifts. And you might say, what on earth has that got to do with gifts? Everything. Because if you don't get the foundation sorted and you build a house, it's a wonky house, and as soon as the pressure comes, the house falls over. And we know enough of the messages in here to know that. We have to start from the right place. So we're really not going to talk about gifts tonight. We're going to talk about the foundation that needs to be laid before you actually understand the gift you've got and then operate in it so you don't entangle yourself in you. And he has to untangle you from you. <laughs> All right. Therefore, Paul, this is Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For through grace given to me, this is Paul, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, really important, so we who are many are one body in Christ, really important and individually members of one another. Really important. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So he's expecting us to exercise the gift on our life. It's a little hard to do that if you don't even know what the gift is, isn't it? 
Okay. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another. That means don't think of yourself. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So much of understanding this is knowing who the church really is. Do you really know who the church is called to be? Do you know your part in her? See, church is not about coming to services. Church isn't a building. Church isn't work stuff primarily. Church is the body of Christ. And God is expecting a body that reflects his truth. So what this means is just like we are diligent and are exact about every other area of our life, we have to be about being the church. In fact, being the church is more important than all those things because this is the eternal life that Jesus came to bring and we are the eternal people that have been mandated to be a chosen, alienated people who aren't of the world but live on the world and serve people as bond servants. And if we don't know who we really are, then we won't be living for it, which means we won't understand anything about the gifts because the gifts are all aligned to being his body, which means you don't have an individual life anymore. Sorry, your life is not your own. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life is not yours. When you recommitted or committed your life, you gave your life for his plan and purpose. Did you know that? Maybe that's why some of us might be struggling because we're trying to hang on to two lives, wondering why we're not in the life that you read about because you can't live for you and him. It doesn't work. You've got to let go of the old and fully embrace the new, and the new is in a body-first individual second reality. Cool? So we're going to go back to verse 1 and 12. What we want to do tonight is we actually want to have, after we've talked, is have questions coming this way first before we have group discussion, okay? So if you get things down, write them down now so you've got questions to ask if we say something, because we might jump all over the place here, right? So we might get to three verses, and then these guys draw another scriptures, and off we go. Cool? You ready? All right, hang on. All right. First, first one. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I just want to fire Sam a question and get his thought. We'll get your thoughts first, mate, on what you're seeing there. It's hard to move, I think, past the first few words, eh? It says, this, it says, therefore I urge you. And I think the word urge is probably something that we've lost in not just modern day Christianity, but the modern day world, right? You know, it, to me, it's, Paul is not of the mind of, hey, um, guys, you know, if, if you've got some free time, um, you know, just if you're not busy and you don't have too much going on in your life, then um, when you get around to it, um, just think maybe um, at some point about considering maybe just laying down your life a little bit. <laughs> this, this man is, you know, the word urge in the Greek, it actually it almost means to get right up in someone's grill. <laughs> you know? And... Because I think this, like what, what we've just heard from Greek here, this, this way of seeing the body is that we are genuinely members of one another. That, like, we've, we've, talked, we've talked before about, it, like, not, code, uh, not codependence, but interdependence. And I love these words of Paul when he says, therefore I urge you. He sees that he's got a, an important role to play in your life even if it doesn't actually get replicated back the other way, because he knows what's at stake, like we've heard. He sees that he's seen the end from the beginning. He's seen the macro eternal purpose of God, and he's laying down his life, and he's committed to the body of Christ that she'll become mature and be all that she can be. So he uses those words, I urge you. I'm so set on you. I've, I've betrothed you, he says in another place, as I betroth you as a bride for her husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. And so he's committed and dedicated to doing his role because he knows what's at stake here. So I think to me when I first started reading that, it was that word urge that, that captivated me. This is not some sort of weak, pithy thing. This is a, this is a wholehearted, full, committed, devoted posture that he's in. So those are my those are my initial thoughts. Add to that, Sandra. Two words. There you go. Uh, three words. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, to me, the, 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 the big thing that this is talking about is the whole purpose that we have been given a life. And... Um, and, and that's what he needs to, to actually, you know, reveal to us that he, our Father, has given each one of us a life. But we will never know the purpose for our life until we give that life back to him and truly give it li our life back to him. Because our life actually was never intended just to be lived separated from his purpose our life was always in alignment with his purpose, which is an alignment to the bride, who is a body. So it's never just about us and him, or us and his purpose for our life. That is a very small, minuscule kind of sight. It, it is a sight that is limited to seeing things that are temporary you know, um, and it's symptomatic of the fall of mankind is that 
um, human beings tend to just live according to what they see in the natural. But um, he has preordained and predestined us from before he even made the world and called and chosen us um, as this people. And so uh, the, the reality is that the life, the living sacrifice is not a living sacrifice, just a physically living sacrifice. It's the life of Christ in us, the life of God through Christ in us. It's the, the Zoe life that I've um, explained before, the life that God has in himself and has given to, to Christ, and we have access now. Because outside of Christ, we actually don't have access to that kind of life. And so the, the whole purpose of God is to, to cause that life to come into us as we have given our lives to him. Because he, he doesn't resurrect alive bodies. He, he gives resurrection power to, to dead bodies. Do you know what I mean? And um, so there, there's a massive amount. That's as much as I'll say at the moment. That's cool. I think, um, you know, what's interesting, and Sandra talked about seeing. I just want to ask you guys a question. Do you see the mercy of God? <coughs> Have you got sight of his mercy, which then defines your worship? It's very hard to lay your life down. So Paul is urging the church, in view of God's mercy, there's an action that's associated to your ability to see just who he is and what he's done for you. And that's why it can be so hard as a follower. And that's why you don't think you have a testimony because you don't realize how lost you are. And so you don't have any idea of the mercy of God that saved you because you're judging it by your behavior. So you look at someone like Georgie and go, hey, I've never done that stuff, but you're just as lost as Georgie was. Possibly even more. Even more, yeah. And so, you know, there's this, Paul is, is saying, he's urging the church. Why? Because he has sight. He has sight of the reality of who the church is called to be. When you study his entire letters, you see his heart being poured out through his letters that we would actually come to know who we really are. Who we really are, which isn't probably who you think you are. And the life that you had already mapped out for you needs to die if that has not come from heaven. Because there's another life. Life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. Why do you worry about keeping this life, which is dead, going? I know you need food. I know you need clothing. I will be the provider when you lay your life down. See, you're anxious and worried about many things, Matthew 6. Why don't you seek first the kingdom and my righteousness because you're worried about keeping your life going? Yeah? So I've got a, oh, I've got a question for you, Greg. So it says... <laughs> for 10 points. So we've heard, you know, um, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. What happens if someone tries to present their body as a living and holy sacrifice but hasn't actually tasted the mercy of God? <laughs> then it's just a fleshly work. It's you haven't lost your life for his sake. You've lost your life thinking it's for his sake. 
but it's actually for your own sake. And that's what I've been talking about. That person has incorporated Jesus into their life. So they've invited Christ in for what Christ can do for them, not surrendered to Christ wholeheartedly and said, I leave my old life here. Now I'm going to show me who I am in you so I can completely live for you and you alone. So my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not mine. So you need to teach me. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding of what I was here. So there's, this, is a, this is massive. I see a lot of incorporation. And that's okay if that's how we've come in. But he wants us to be fully surrendered. So he has to teach us, come to me. So I want to teach you and learn from me so you can live the way I intend you to live. Because an incorporated follower can't do two things. They can't deny themselves because they didn't invite Christ in to deal to themselves. They invited him in to help self because self was in a bad place. Tracking with me? And they can't love God the way God asks them to love or one another because that's a supernatural love. And self can't love which is still on the throne like God. But it can think it is and it can think it does. But when it's tested, it can't. And it's tested through pressure of other people's behavior. So when other people behave in a way that upsets you, you don't have the love in you because self is still living at the centerpiece and self manifests through the same spirit that's coming at you. And so it's so vital that you have lost your life for his sake through his power doing that work in you. Not your strength or your will trying to lay your life down as a spiritual act of worship. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. He's trying to tell you, you can be a gong and you can prophesy because you have a gift on your life that's irrevocable. But that doesn't mean you know him. Because God gives gifts to an immature people. And I'll just share this thing. And then I remember the keys are on the table. And I remember saying this in a message, and there is wisdom to this, but at the same time, God whispered something to me, and I remember saying, I wouldn't give Madeline the keys to the car because she'd probably kill others and herself right now at her age. She's not mature enough to handle a vehicle that is a weapon in the wrong hands, yeah? And God said to me, but son, I've given gifts to immature people. And you know what he said? Because I believe they're going to do it my way. He said, the reason why I've given it is because I believe they'll actually want to know me, my way, my purposes, and do it my way. That's how much I believe in my church. He believes in us more than we believe in us. It's so humbling, eh, to think that he would see that much potential in us that even in the state that we're in, he would see beyond that to what's possible in him, you know? And I feel like this, to me, this whole journey, even in terms of the gifts, has been, it's been that, you know, like even being, you know, sharing with a microphone or sharing from the pulpit, that it's, I know what was in my heart, you know, years and years ago and I 
like the, the difference between having to protect my own reputation, what people would think about me, whether the sermons were right and appropriate versus actually going through a process where that thing that was destroying life got shattered so badly that now it, it, it has completely revolutionized not just preaching but my relationship with him. And it's so freeing to not have to perform, not have to do anything to earn approval of God. And to me, that's what he's talking about here. It's, a, it's the difference between a sacrifice and a living and holy sacrifice. It comes from a completely different place, yeah, a surrendered place, a broken place that um, you're, you're serving not because you need to be served or to receive any kind of encouragement, thanks from, from people. You know, Paul said, if I was living to please man, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And so what we're hearing here about the sacrifice, he's talking about the posture of a bondservant, that he's completely been emptied of everything that he could receive, needed to receive from himself. And he's entirely free to lay down his life for God and, and for others. So it's a beautiful, awesome thing, eh? I, th I think it's, it's like because we can come to this and we think of sacrifice in terms of pain and giving up what is precious to us. And I just think it is so the opposite. <laughs> it's so the opposite that we have been invited to exchange a dead, worthless, futile life. <laughs> you know? And to come into a place of um, him being in charge and him empowering and um, without all that weight and heaviness of trying to do the right thing and, and all the, this, the entanglement of the flesh. And that's the invitation that, and it's the necessity, but it's the invitation that, that this is a life of the spirit. It's not a life of the flesh, and the flesh has to die. That's, that's what we're talking about, that, you know, that we, we're no longer living this flesh life but, you know, as David Lake explained about taking up the cross, is that we crucify the flesh. We, we turn from living by the five senses, living by what we understand in our, own, in our own mind. And we now are walking according to the Spirit. And he leads us in this, in this way that is freedom. And um, to me, that's such, wow such an opportunity to be free of of this death life you know and and be um not only individually but be, because we are walking together he starts doing in us together what only he can do and he is truly glorified i mean this is that what he is wanting to build will will dis demonstrate him in a way that cannot possibly be manufactured by man and, you know, to be able to be involved in that is, wow, you know, what a privilege, eh? Yeah. I think the challenge also is, is that you can deny Christ and the true building work when he comes and taps your flesh and says, you're not actually yet fully surrendered. There are some things in your heart that I can see. 
So if you want eternal life, rich young ruler, because you ran to me and said to me that how do I inherit eternal life? And when I turn around and say to you, if you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments, and you turn around and you say, but I've done this, 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 and he goes, that's good, but go get all your wealth because that's the thing that's holding you back from being fully surrendered to receiving. And the cool thing is the woman at the well continued in process when he said to her, go get me your husband. So the spiritual act of worship is a lordship issue. It's not a saviorship issue. It's a lordship issue. That's why the heat goes up when he comes. And the Bible says you can actually deny the power of God, which is Jesus Christ, and maintain a form of godliness, but actually you're still a lover of self, which is the very first verse that says, in the last days, which started 2,000 years ago, Difficult times will come because men will be lovers of self. Problem is, you don't know you're a lover of self because you can think you're a lover of God, but when he asks for stuff, you deny him because you don't know your true state. But he sees it and he comes because we're all blinded to a reality. And this is why Paul says here, talks about don't think more highly of yourself. When you judge yourself by yourself, you will always give yourself the best marks. Let those you love and trust around you give you true discernment of areas in your life that they can see that you can't see. What for? For the purpose of building up so you can lay your life down as an act of worship and come into the fullness of life and discover that he is your absolute provider in every area of life. The first time the word worship is used is where? What is the context Abraham and Isaac. So what's the context of that whole thing? Sacrifice. The promise needs to be sacrificed. And there is no resistance in Abraham's heart because he's a man of faith and he has a knowledge of three promises. So he just immediately obeys. This is a level of worship that we are to discover as the church. And I'd encourage you, every time you hear yourself talk about worship and singing songs, to try and grab that thought. Now, there's an element, I agree with you, of worship, praise. I think praise is a much better word. I've come to praise. I've come to exalt. I've come to express my love. Because worship really is the giving of my life. So we don't have a worship team here because Jay doesn't lay his life down more, hopefully, than anybody else. He's not the leader who leads his life down more than everybody else. He leads us into the presence of God. He's the leader of a music team. I'm hoping we're all worshipers who worship in spirit and truth because that's the worshiper the Father seeks, is it not? So when the worshiper the Father seeks who worships in spirit and truth because they're a true worshiper who have given their entire life for the purposes of God, meet God because we're, sorry, that person meets God because God says, seek me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your righteousness, and you'll find the kingdom of the king. There's an interaction. This is the type of worship that we must embrace before we ever start really using gifts. Because otherwise, we will define. I've seen it. I know it in my own life. I define the gift. The gift has to be surrendered back through true worship. So it's a lordship issue. I just want to jump back to what you're saying about Abraham before, because I feel like this this whole scenario to me 
like paints the picture of what laying down your life actually looks like, you know. And it says that Abraham, you know, he was he heard the voice of God and he went up the mountain to sacrifice his son. But Hebrews gives away the answer in the New Testament. And it said that he reasoned in his heart that God would raise him from the dead. Now, how much sacrifice is involved if God asks you to kill your son, but I'm just going to raise him up again? It's, it, it, it takes this, it takes it so far away from, oh my goodness, I've got to, I've got to give my time. I've got to give my energy. Man, I'm already on a cafe, and they're saying, are there any people available for the welcome and connect? That's two Sundays out of, I've only got four Sundays. And I'm, this, but this is, this is the perception that you'll have towards laying down. Your, you will always resist in your deepest court. You'll resist laying down your life for him if you haven't actually seen what Abraham saw. And it says he God it said he reasoned in his heart that God would raise him from the dead. And so Abraham saw something of the eternal purpose of God that motivated him to offer his his one and only son. And to me it's almost like it's it's a sacrifice, but it's not even a sacrifice. Because there's a, there's a greater sight, there's a greater joy, there's a greater love within you that empowers you to live for him in a way that you never would have unless you had received this mercy that Paul's talking about. And it says that about Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It doesn't say, man, he was so frustrated that, that mankind just couldn't get it 4,000 years later and eventually he finally was like, I've had enough, I'm coming. He says that this is like, well, it's almost how the gospel is preached, right? You know, but actually, it says that God so loved the world that He gave. It, it wasn't this, you know, this almost like self-focused, sacrificial thing. He was empowered by what, uh, by the, um, by faith, by the potential that He saw that He laid down His life. You know, so I think it, it, it presents a, a completely different view of what this living sacrifice is. Hey? What else did he have? So he had three promises. Sam said one. He knew he could be raised from the dead. What else did he have? That the son was not yet who he was going to be, is he? So he can't die. See, this is what the word does. When you hear the rhema word of the Lord, do you think that empowers you to live and do what he asks? And it's a pleasure and an honor what Sam's saying. It's not hardship. Why? Because you've got a substance called the Word directing your obedience. It's an honor and it's fast. They left immediately. You don't pray about it. You know because you've got the Word of the Lord. So that's action. Boom. What else did he have? Yep, but what that's, so that's two. What else did he know? Go to a certain mountain out of all the mountains. He got told that. What was going to be on the mountain? The ram. Because he says to the boy, we are going over there to all these other people, and then we are coming back. That's called faith. So then you have to ask yourself, do I have faith like that? And if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to stuff and see stuff happen in you, over you, and over others' lives. 
the size of a mustard seed, the knowledge of God, the conviction of what you're seeing in the unseen realm. So he had three promises. Why do you think he was the father of faith? It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't hard. He acted because he saw and responded to the word power. That's for us. It's not wishy-washy. It's not, ooh, maybe. Boom. Cool? All right. Did we get to verse 2? <laughs> and do not be conformed to this world. You know, this is the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, I love this, so that you may prove what the will of God is that is good, acceptable, and perfect. If we would have a test right now and ask you all what God's will is, His will for His church, you reckon we'd pass? It's very hard to live if you don't know what you're supposed to be living, is it not? And you don't know what you're supposed to be living if you haven't given your life because you're going to lean on your own understanding and try and figure it all out through the mind when you need the Holy Spirit to decipher this. So you'll never know what you're supposed to be living because you don't know the will of God, so you make it up. Many people are still searching for something called the will of God, and they even think it's in an individual calling. Now, there are, we're going to look at gifts and graces for the purpose of building a body. And there are assignments, but we don't confuse this with the will of God. And so this is something we're going to unpack as we go. So I don't know if you guys want to, do you want to jump into that? What about you, Sandra? Again, I think the, 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 the process that he has us on is, is vital. It's not just, okay, you're now in the kingdom of light. <laughs> because... Because while our spirits are made new and they're born again, our soul realm sure as heck is not, you know, our mind, will and emotions. And, and he has to convict us of how right we are. The Holy Spirit has to reveal the truth of who we are and renew our minds to that so that we are not thinking the thoughts that we used to think. And we're not taking our cues from what is naturally discerned, but we're now eating of spiritual food um, that is, is Christ, is the Word. And he, everything comes by what he feeds us, you know? And it's, it's living and it causes his life to be made manifest in us, you know, so this process of transformation is is absolutely vital. Oh, and that's introduction. Yeah. Oh, I, I just I got I just have another question, Sandra, for you. Um, <laughs> um, and then I've got one for the audience, not because you guys are active participants, right? Um, <laughs> but it says in verse two, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Sandra, it would be cool to hear. What's the difference between conformation and transformation? Hmm. 
Sorry, that's totally on the spot, eh? Thank you. <laughs> wow. I should put it back to you because you're oh. really much better at weird stuff than me. Um, well, it doesn't have to be Sandra. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I can, I can, I can have a go. <laughs> to me, to me, um, conformed is is almost like a, a fleshly default, um, and and transformed is the work of the spirit. Um, so that that would be it in a nutshell. And I think um, you know to to just put the because I think a lot of people come in at this like I used to. And it's like, oh my goodness, I've got to be transformed by renewing my mind. I must renew my mind. I must renew my mind. So again, you're trying to change um, and bring yourself into spiritual life through the, the efforts of the flesh. And that is so not it. I was just going to talk, maybe you just talk for a minute and remind people about copying and imitating. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, I totally agree with Sandra, what you're saying, you know, and I think this is, to me, this is such a, this is such a massive thing, because, especially if, you know, when you start hearing the language of transformation, you know, um, and we hear that word a lot, right, you know, that it can be so easy to think about transformation as almost like, it's almost like a self-help kind of a <laughs> mentality, you know, where you're making yourself a better person. The world would just be a better place, you know, if we just changed a little bit more. But actually, you know, to me, there's such a massive difference between conformation, which is, um, I, I shared a, uh, probably about a year ago, about emulating versus imitating, you know, um, and conformation being you, you look at someone's behavior on the outside and you try and replicate it, whereas transformation is an inner, your, your inner realm is changed and you actually become like someone on the inside, not just in action, but in the reality and substance of your inner world and your inner life. And so, like, I feel like this is so vital in the context of the gifts, because like we've heard about, there's, there's many gifts, and there's going to be a range of different expressions that we start to identify over the coming weeks and months, but there's a heartbeat that all of us are to enter into and live from that will define the way that we use those gifts and how they contribute to a body as opposed to contribute to your own ego. <laughs> Um, and so I feel like this is such a foundational truth for us to enter into that there's, there's one spirit, there's one heartbeat that we live from. And then there's a beautiful expression of diversity that comes through um, different giftings as they start to operate. What would be the first inner expression in an attitude from imitating, not emulating? copying what's the first inner attitude shift that Jesus taught if you truly are imitating Christ not emulating or copying the answer is in Matthew 5 come on Chris verse 7 no close the first being attitude. What is the first being attitude? The attitudes of being, not doing. Poor in spirit. Okay, you can have two people that wash people's feet. One can be poor in spirit and the other one's not, but they both look like it's a work of humility. 
So the physical doesn't mean anything as, an, as a first up expression because it's hidden. You can't see it, can you? But in time, you'll see it. So it even talks about here being haughty in mind in verse 16. And in the mind, so this being posture must come through. Well, you can't actually be humble unless you've been humbled because you are full of pride like me. Unless this fully surrendered reality. So there is a poor in spirit. You know who you are in him. You know who you were. You know who he is. So you actually, this expression comes out of you. So you can actually try and act all humble. Most of the time it's false humility. Painted up as humility. But when it gets pressed, it manifests. So it's not humility that comes out. It's pride. And that's hidden. And I feel like in the context of the gifts, if we don't, uh, if we don't hear what's, what Greg has just shared as our first starting point, we could easily go through the next six months and we could all grow in our gifts and we could, we could start prophesying, we could start speaking in tongues. There could be like gold dust falling from the sea. Uh, who, who knows what the, uh, the endless possibilities are? And yet walk out the door being completely and totally unchanged yeah, on the inside, right. you know. And so from my perspective, and I feel like from our perspective, this is really a foundational thing because it will have us not just growing in our gifts, but it will have the gifts achieving the end that they were always supposed to, which was our, as the body of Christ, actually becoming like Christ. It's having Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's becoming like him. And when, it's, when the gifts are used in, a, in alignment to that purpose, that's when they're powerful. Can I just ask one other thing in relation to the Beatitudes? How many Beatitudes are there? <laughs> this is why we need to know our word, eh? See, this, this is the Sermon on the Mount, guys. This is the one sermon Jesus preached. Everything else were just bits here. This is a sermon. And he took them to a high mountain to say, guys, out of anything, this is probably the most important thing of all. So there are nine being attitudes. And there are nine promises with every attitude given. So on every attitude you come into in Christ, there is a promise. Nine promises associated with the being position in and living from. And the first one defines the second one, the third one, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. You will never hunger and thirst for righteousness and be satisfied if you still have pride in you. See, so blessed are the poor in spirit catapults this thing to where you're actually persecuted for righteousness that he considers a blessing. That's a promise right there for the church. You will be persecuted by everyone who's living fleshly because you have pursued righteousness. So it's blessing are those who are what? Righteous in Christ. But you will be persecuted by those that still aren't on that journey. And those people can be sitting right beside you. You may be married to them. You may have little people, older people, grandparents, people, cousins, doesn't matter who, any relationship. 
when flesh and spirit are opposing, the Bible says they're in opposition. And so we need to know this inner realm if we're ever going to operate from a gift because men and women who don't know this humility place, they try and torch people when things don't go their own way. They actually get in front of, in, into Jesus' face and say, you're not doing that. Why? Because pride, not humility, can't hear because it thinks it knows. Did you want to ask them a question? Oh, yeah. Well, this is, I think oh, we kind of missed the boat on this. Um, oh, sure, I can ask it anyway um, and see where we go. I just, um, so we, we were talking before about what the will of God is and why the will of God is so important. Uh, so it says, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I just wanted to ask, what, what is the will of God? Sanctification, what, what, what is sanctification? Good question. <laughs> it's multifaceted, this question. So just throw stuff out because it's multi-layered. Cool. No, all, all good. All good. What is he looking for? Just yell it out. Be confident. He's looking for. He wants you to keep your word. So you become. Yep. Yep. Yep so, you, yep, so you need to know what he's asking you to do and who to become, yeah? So this is in Ephesians 5, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so it's multifaceted, but this is part of knowing him and who you are in him, because it's like this is the goal. If you don't have a goal, you don't know what you're running towards. So Paul ran a race in accordance to what he was looking at. So if you're a marathon runner and a 100-meter sprint, you're in trouble. You turned up for the wrong race. You know, you're not going to do too well. So we need to know what the will is. What did Jesus pray in the garden in, the garden in John 17? Yeah, but no, what did, he, what did Jesus pray for? I pray that they would be one. So the two become one in a marriage, yeah? The body is to become one. One. We are how many bodies? Ten or one? One. But we have multiple gifts to build a body. And he is the head. So ultimately this one being called the church is going to... What's another name for the church? What are multiple names for the church? A bride? A body? 
Saints, priests, a temple. Mm, yeah, that's the bride. Living stones. So the will of God is to build his church into the image of his son, which is a body that's one with him, the son, the spirit, and one another. It's called fellowship. Be devoted to becoming one of the spirit. So then you can, like Bruce is saying, function as a body and as individuals. So as a body, what is God asking us to do? First thing is believe in what I just said. That's the first work. See, if you're not convinced of what I just said, then you'll never become the very thing I just said because you don't believe it. You can't become that unless you actually partake of the food source, which is eternal, not hamburgers and chips. So why do you continue to work for food that perishes? Why don't you work for food that's eternal? Well, show us another miracle. I just did another miracle. The first work is to believe in what is said so you can align your life and understand the purpose of who you're to be as a body. And then as a body, you will function as individual wherever you go. And so it's a two thing. You're in two things, but you're really in one position. So you're a body and you're an individual, yeah? But individuals make up a body. And without individuals, you don't have a body. So what we are as a body, we are as individuals. What we are as individuals, we are a body. So if individuals, if we're not one with God, we won't be one as a body. And the purpose Jesus prayed was, I pray that they would be one. But it's not one of flesh. It's one of spirit. So you need to understand the things of the spirit because the will of God is a spiritual body that he's building. But if you can't hear the word, which is spirit, how on earth can you lay your life down as an act of worship? You fight the process because you're still fleshly or you're trying to accomplish something because you don't know who you are. So you're trying to get your sense of worth, purpose, and meaning out of function. Look what I'm doing for you, God. Aren't I a good boy or girl? He's going, well, that's awesome, but that's not where you find your identity, not where you find your meaning and your purpose. You find it in me. Because you've laid your life down and I'm teaching you all things. We tracking? So the will of God is so multifaceted, but it says we need to know what it is. So in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says it's the sanctification, which is what Sarah said. What does that mean? It's the preparation of the church through the power of the Spirit and truth, through the giving of her life. So as we give our lives, he's making her ready. He's preparing her and he's coming. And she will walk in the manner in which he walked. She will be like him. He's not marrying a two-year-old girl. He wants to see himself when he looks into our eyes. Christ-like, literally, people. Paul said, I want to make you complete in Christ. I am what? Bear with me in a little foolishness. For you have been betrothed to one husband. But I am afraid you are already bearing with me. For I want to present you to one husband. But I'm afraid that you've been deceived in your mind from what this is all about. 
And when another comes who preaches another gospel or a different spirit, you readily accept it because it sounds good. It's just not. And so you've walked away from actually what the will of God is, which is the devoted relationship, fellowship with the Christ, His Father, His Son, and one another, to be built up as the living stone, the bride of Christ, who is able to do the things that she's called to do because she has the power of God operating within her. So every gift functions in an alignment to the order of the one, just like my body does. Very hard for my foot to do that. Some people can. I can't. <laughs> Bless you if you can. But it's very hard for an arm to be in a position when it's a leg. doesn't quite function. So this one body which we are all part of and parts of isn't to look like a morgue or a war site. It's to look like a fully functioning soldier who is not entrusted in the things of the world but enlisted to the one who died for him. And I think to me, it's so, it's so powerful, eh? This is be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. And I think what I, what I hear Greg describing is when, when we're like, the intention is that we would prove the will of God. And proving the will of God is not just wrangling about a scripture and debating someone and being right. It's the, the, the word, when it says prove, it actually means that the will of God might be proved by you. So that we would actually be walking, talking, yeah. Ma yeah, manifestations of what the will of God is. When we look at Jesus and the way that he walks, we've got a, a living example of what the will of God is on the earth. And as the body of Christ, people should be able to look at us and say, oh, I get it. That's what the will of God is because they've seen the transformation of our lives. We've actually genuinely become like him. If, if, if we are becoming this, and we are, and the first work is to believe, what is the second thing he's expecting? So what would, what would we as a body be able to do? We believe that's the first work. What is the second eternal work that he has commanded us to do? Love what? As he loves. Love one another as he loves. How are we going with that? Then you'll know if you're in the will of God. That's an outcome of a process, isn't it? So we don't try, I don't try to love Sam, meaning I'm trying to love Sam. I'm trying to love Sam. Greg told me I need to try to love Sam. No, I believe the word, receive the word. I accept that in my spirit, it performs its work in me, and I'm just able to love Sam. I'm not trying to love Sam. I just love Sam. And it's not based on Sam's behavior towards me. That's when you know you're actually really starting to come more and more into in Christ because you're walking in the manner in which Christ. So before you do miracles, but here's the thing, you can do a miracle and not be able to love. You can walk on water, Peter, and still deny Christ. That's not that good. But he got him to where he was getting him, didn't he? Which is the awesome part of the story. Through his surrender, his true worship. I think we've had enough. Well, 
I feel like. <laughs> questions. Let's just do questions from the floor. Okay. Is there a difference between what is a spiritual gift and what is a talent? Difference between a, a spiritual talent. gift and a talent. <laughs> Just say yes. Good question, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can give a I can give my personal opinion. <laughs> give me time to think. <laughs> um, I I personally think that the so the I would say that the talents that's described in the parables they're broader, much broader things. It's to me the t the parable the talents is is more what are you doing with the life that you've been given and the grace that you've been given from him. And I'd say that the way that you operate in your gift is one part of a much bigger picture, which is um, faithfulness to God. That, that's probably my thoughts. I think I was just reading this today. I'm pretty sure that the talents is money as well. So it's not they're saying, oh, I give you money, 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 go use money. But it's, it's more of a, um, it's trying to show you that what are you doing with what you've been given? So I've blessed you for a measure, and this is sort of what we're going to get to in verses 3 and stuff, with a gracing. So what are you doing what you've been given? So I think there are giftings. People have natural giftings and have spiritual gifts. And so, you know, like some people can sing. So that's not necessarily a, a, a spiritual gift. It's a natural ability that, can then, what did you do with that? Did you worship, did you sing Exalt Me with it? Or did you build your own pop star life? Um, I'd probably want to do a little bit more digging around the question. And I think my understanding okay. is that it's, it can be easy to think, hear the word talons and think it's talents, you know? Like, what have you done with your God-given abilities? But it's, like Greg was saying, I, I think it's, the talons are more, it's a typology of God has given a, a something, like I think it's money or, or you know, or, or something like that. So more of a, he's, he's, he's given so much to us. Now, what does it look like expressed? Because there were lots of people who were given something, but didn't actually do anything with what they're, they're given. And, the, and in the context of the gifts that we're talking about over the next, you know, the next couple of months, we've all been given gifts. We've all been given an opportunity to be part of a body and to play our role. And it's almost just asking the question, what, like, how are we investing what it is that we've been given to, to serve one another and, and that sort of thing? Does that, does that make sense? I think, I think the problem with us is when we come, come to church, we say, say, okay, we sing, we are a good singer, we sing well or whatever. They say, you have a talent. It's not a gift. So is that true? <laughs> well, th yeah, yes, in essence of, in that context of singing. Like it talks about, it's interesting, it says parable of the ten virgins, parable of the ten talents. So it's a parable, which is what is the main story trying to communicate through here. It's not to get caught up in this and that. So the main point is what you've been given, are you serving him with it? That's an external reality. And the parable of the ten virgins is what's your internal reality. So what's the internal stuff going on? Are you being prepared? Are you ready? And then are you serving with, so I would say the gifts are different to a, per, a person with a talent who's singing. Um, 
If I can add something, just um, Paul. Paul not only served with his gift, he served with his life. And I sense that to try and divide um, is not the way it is. I, I, I see it as one. So my whole life is his. He's had to define how I use any talents or any gifts or anything. He, he is the owner and possessor of, of me. So um, it's not like that I would use my gift to um, uh, build up my own identity. So in my case, I'm not a musician. You know, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. And he, he I guess, showed me the reality of what it is for something to be laid down and die and then be raised up, defined by him. And I think the same process he does in every aspect of our lives. Um, our identity is not in our function as a parent or is in, in our job or career. Um, our identity, we must be rooted and established in Christ, in love, or else we are in a really, really dangerous place because we're rooted and established in something that is temporal. And so I, I would be hesitant to say this applies for this and this applies. I think the, the wholeness of our bodies being given as a living sacrifice kind of um, explains that. It's all of my life, you know? In every aspect, it's not, it's never divided. It's all one. It's all him. And I think that was what you saw this morning. To give a visual, what does that look like? I think it, with Georgie, is that's what he did this morning. That was him operating from a number of different realities. Can you hear what I'm saying now? Yeah, so it was one thing. It wasn't separated. Any other questions? You just speak into the microphone because it's on the recording. That's all. Um, I have a question in terms of belief, if I can word this right. But do we believe and then because we believe we see or do we see and then from that sight we believe, if that makes sense? True example of the body of Christ. <laughs> wow, putting me in it there. <laughs> I, the, the things I don't believe, uh, sorry, the things I don't see yet of the unseen, I believe because of who said it. That would be how I answer that. Um, and I think, believe we've got to be, you know, like this full conviction. I have a full conviction of who he is and the fact that what he says is true. But he, he, would, he would then, in, 
actually birth that in me so that then it becomes this, this substance that has produced itself within me. That's what I've, I, um, that's what I've experienced in my life. It's a bit hard because it depends how you define all of those things. But, um, yeah, there, there are things that if I don't, I don't understand them or I don't see them, if he said it, it's not so much the it, it's the him that said, said what he said. And that, I guess that's trust coming into faith. Cool. Next question. Yep. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> surely um, we're not all living lives knowing that we are incorporating God into our lives. Like we don't put our hands up and say, "Yes, I'm." We are all, you know. We we obviously think and know, and are choosing to to love God, um, and so how do you get to the point where it's truly revealed in you as to how we are living, whether we are wholeheartedly loving him or whether we are incorporating, because obviously it's pretty, you know, it's black and white if we are, if we are incorporating or we are wholeheartedly loving him, how do you know? Great question. I think that's a great question. That's a great <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer you're probably not going to like, you'll know. That's all I got to say. That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm serious, you'll know. You'll know. And it's like when you're asked to come under, here's a key one when you're asked to come under, and do some things you might not want to do, there's a good picture of whether you're actually fully surrendered. Because it's like... <laughs> put it this way. If you know what he's doing here, then you will know where you should be and you'll know where you should be committing your life to over other areas because of what he said. Yeah. I'm trying to say this very well. <laughs> and, yeah, you, you'll, you'll, you'll know where you should be, and the decisions you make will be aligned to what he's asking and his priorities, not your own which means you will choose him over that. And there won't even be a decision to be made because you'll prioritize the things that he's asked for. And it's like, it's like giving, okay? You don't touch it. It's given, done. So I'm left with this. So I don't touch these things that he's asking me because that's what he's about and what he's doing. So I'm present because my presence in a gathering is very vital. Even if I don't actually minister to anybody, my presence is vital. 
because it's the gathering of the body because it's part of the preparation. And so this is some of the ways you'll know and it's when someone touches something that isn't yet surrendered and you'll probably manifest. Or just, you know, so hope that and, helps. And just a word on that, if that does happen, don't think, oh, that's terrible and, you know, I'm this terrible person. It, it, the, the thing is that the spirit, he, he comes with the word and it must clash with our flesh. And we, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because that is all part of this process of transformation. And it's what we do at that point. Do we shrink back and do we go um, away or do we press into him at that point? Because that's the point where our freedom's just on the other side, you know? So um, that that is the very reality of this transformative process is when spirit comes and he absolutely comes front up with our flesh and our flesh manifests that doesn't mean that we're a bad person and and that and everything's wrong it just means that he's he's wanting us (laughs) to surrender I mean our flesh has to has to submit has to come under submission is coming under his mission. That's what it is. And that the mission of God comes in these different ways into the very depths of our inner core being. And we don't even know where we're not surrendered. You know, he's the one that knows our hearts. And it's that willingness to keep our hearts open to him and to keep walking with him and to keep walking with others when it's really uncomfortable and that's exactly where Holy Spirit the comforter comes to help us in that process when we can surrender and it's like we come into life it's awesome and I think God orchestrates situations to enable that to happen, you know. And to me, it's the beauty of true repentance is that he aligns things to give us that opportunity, you know. Like, and the, the situation will expose if we are in him to a measure or if we're not. And both of those things are his mercy because he is so committed to get us to where he would have us be that even he would allow Peter to go through what he went through denying Jesus three times, even being made an example of through the scripture for all future generations to see this is the plan and pattern of God for your salvation, you know? And all the men of faith had to go through these times where God allowed things to bring them into a greater life than what they previously knew. So I think about Abraham. You know, we talked about the the glory side of Abraham earlier on, but actually Abraham, you know, took a maid and slept with a maid to try and manufacture a son that God had promised. And it wasn't that Abraham was a bad person. He was a he was a God called him the father of faith, the friend of God, and yet he allowed him to go through the situation because there is a greater dimension of freedom and life that Abraham didn't know living by faith and living by the spirit that then he entered into having gone through what he went through and he re- he received the promise you know and, and this is where you have to connect all this back to the will of God okay so he's doing all this not for just you as an individual he's doing it because of what he's looking for so how is the church going to become one in spirit spirit love mind purpose how is that going to happen he's going to come knocking on our door 
each individual door because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's going to say, hey, you want living water? Yeah, it sounds great. Okay, go get me a husband. He's going to identify the thing or the things that's actually keeping you out of becoming the church that he sees. And if we all commit to entering into sanctification, the process, then as a church, we become this church that is one, that a lost world looks at and can't figure out because the love emanating from the light of the world called the church is so bright because everyone's took off the lampshade, taken it off their head. They haven't hidden it under a, a, a table and the light of the world is on a city on the hill waiting to be declared. How does that happen? Because that's what he's building. That's not an individual thing. That's a body thing. So you have to see it's not just Abraham was a part of a body. His life was not just for Abraham. Abraham's life was given for the building of the people of God. He's cheering us on, waiting for us to get to where we need to get to, along with all the great people of faith. See, it's a body. It's a nation. Israel is a nation. The plans I have for you were never for an individual. That's what we've taken the word and mistaught it. It's for a nation, a body, a people. So my plans that I have, God, for you, not to harm you, are for a body. And so when you see God is for you, not against you, you embrace everything. It's no loss. It's life, life, life. Laying your life down is not a loss. It's life. Holding on to your life is loss. Laying your life down is life. We have to, this is part of the not being conformed to the patterns of the world because he has to bring his truth. So his, his thoughts and his ways are not our ways. We, we understand that. But, but when his thoughts and his ways are revealed by the Spirit, then they are going to absolutely come straight smack up against the ways of the world that are the patterns of the world that we have conformed to. We've already conformed to. Our flesh is conformed to. We've lived that way. And so we've lived by this God of individualism. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that he, he comes in, but it's not, just to, it's not to destroy us. It's to build us and to bring us into his original design and pattern mm -hmm. because it was always a way of death. And he, he isn't going to leave us in ways of death. So every time he comes in and he confronts, it's because he wants to bring us into life and set us free from these chains that entangle us. Great question, Josh. One more and then we'll call it night. Um, yeah, I struggle with um, uh, how uh, there's so much injustice around and then you know, we all talk about finding the spirit, um, moving in his way. And uh, how, how, do you, how do you approach people uh, that question and then say, well, if you believe in this Jesus, this Holy Spirit, uh, and we have starving children, and today we saw an amazing guy um, who's led a, a hard life, a, a terrible life, probably. Um, and yet, 
we get you know if you defend or you you align yourself with the spirit you have questions thrown at you like well how do you explain that you know he has he he georgie's now appeared saved um but the life prior to that would have um inflicted a lot of damage as we all have in our own when we switch off and uh, now we're switching on that's why we're here so how do you how do you explain that to people when they corner you i probably need some clarity how do i ex- just the clarity around explaining just so i'm clear in my mind you said explain that Sure. Okay. Yep. Yep. Ultimately, because well, he doesn't. But oh yeah, yep. And that's because he gave us a choice. And with our choice, we chose the wrong thing, yeah? Which is back to the first part of in view of God's mercy. So we have to understand that we are all fallen beings the day we're born. We are all evil. And what you see on earth is just the expression of man's heart, which we are all capable of doing. And only by his grace and his mercy are we not. I've come close to doing some serious damage to people in the past because of anger and hurt and offense and those sorts of things. By the grace of God, you don't, but it's only that, because this evil nature which separates me from God needs to get dealt to, which is really this issue. And because God didn't want just robotic creation, and he wanted the ability to choose, which is why he had to give Adam and Eve choice, because they didn't have the opportunity to choose God like we have. He made them. So just like we've all created little people, they didn't choose to be born. We chose. So Danielle and I chose to give our children life. That doesn't mean they love us back. That doesn't mean they choose us back. And that's part of having choice and a free choice. But the challenge is so they chose wrong. So God isn't to blame for what we see. We are. Because we, if we wanted to, could fix the problem like that. But man doesn't. Now, man will be held for everything he's done. So Georgie will be held to an account when he stands before God for every word he has said, everything he has done, and God will judge him rightly. But he has been made new, but that doesn't mean he won't be judged, and that's part of the reward as well for the life he now lives as a follower. So this is the other thing. God's mercy is incredible. It's not ours. And this really takes our head to get around it because it's like, how can God forgive someone that seriously kills a person, damages someone else? Well, if he doesn't, he can't forgive you. Because you're just as evil as the person. Just because you didn't do it doesn't mean you're not as evil because you were born evil with an evil nature that separates you from God. And that's what needs to get smashed through God's power. And that's where I see many followers still actually don't know who they were before Christ. We actually think we're good people. 
So we struggle because we don't know that's me outside of God's grace. You know? Um, So it can be a tricky question to try and answer people, especially non-Christian people. You know, I've got my best mate was here this morning, and we have these conversations all the time. He can't quite fathom this homosexual thing. You know, the Israel Falau thing. So while we're training, we're going, do you believe that stuff? Do you believe that stuff? Are you into that stuff? And it's really hard to answer some of the questions at times. Because it's like, well, yes, but no. <laughs> well, that sounds a bit like wishy-washy, no. You know, it's absolutely, well, actually, you need to start at the beginning. And you need to take it right back to the beginning. And we only train for an hour, so, you know, it's quite hard. And you've got to get your bench press in. But so you need wisdom. So in some of these things, I ask God for wisdom and how to actually answer some of these questions because you need wisdom. Because, you know, someone may be homosexual, but they're not a practicing homosexual because they receive the gospel. And so they still might have tendencies, but they don't. They don't partake. Where's that? Well, God's a righteous judge, and God will judge, not me. So I'm not going to judge that. Do you know? So there's, 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 it's not as easy. It's even with, with um, like Josh's question. Even the belief question, it's not as easy as what it sounds, even though there is a position of one. And that's where we must all have fellowship with the Spirit. Because the Spirit will bring you into a position that's actually very hard to put words to, but you know it's true. Hence, that's why I answered the way I answered. So it leaves it a bit hanging, and we don't like that. (laughs) We like everything with a full stop, sealed, I got that down. And you have to get be comfortable in the unknown and in the mystery, but he will reveal the mystery. But ultimately, it's, it's our choices, unfortunately. And we, are, we can all, you know, live this way. And none of, us, none of us can go back and change anything in the past, you know? Like, but we can be changed, you know? And I think to me that's, that's the thing, you know, is that we, we can't wipe away what's but the blood of Christ cleanses the conscience from dead works and has us serving the living God, you know? And so the things that I'm, that I think about in my past that I, you know, I'm, I'm not the person that I used to be. And so I think to me, this is the beauty and the power of the gospel that you're so forgiven and you're so in awe of his mercy that it is like, it is like being new, it's new on the inside, you know? And to me, that's the power of, of the gospel, so doesn't excuse our behavior and the consequences to other people, you know. And that's the sad part of it, is that we hurt each other. Cool. Well, next week we're just going to continue on and just see what he brings to light. And this is the journey we're going to on and as we get to the gifts and unpack it all. And, you know, so be prepared for, I think, probably at least three or four months of this as we just unpack and unravel it and see where we go. Have a good night. Any questions, feel free to fire them through to us. Have a good week, guys.